Um, if you're visiting with us, welcome. My, my name is Ashley. I'm the pastor here. Glad to have you here with us. Uh, you've picked a, a good Sunday, I think, uh, because we are starting a, a new sermon series on the letter of First Peter. And so I've been looking forward to that, been excited about that. Um, and so we will jump right in as we read together. You're, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find uh, the text on page 10 of your worship guide. But let's read. What is, what is for us a very short passage? I feel like I've had very long passages of Scripture that I've been preaching from lately. But here we just have two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Let me pray for us. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lips in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, I have have some questions. (laughs) I have some questions for you. And who do you think you are? And I don't mean that in the in the the flippant like who do you, like who do you think you are, but like, what makes you think that you can be uh, a parent? <laughs> what makes you think that you can be a husband or a wife or or a friend or a or a professional person? Like another question, I have, I have lots of them. This is one of those sermons. I'm just going to start off. I'm going to pepper you with questions. So who do you think, what makes you, you think you can be that, do that? And then how did you get here? Not like, not like how did you get here, but more like, how did you get here? Like what's going on here? Here's a question I've been asking myself that I ask myself, I don't know how many times a day. Okay, well, n- now what? <laughs> now what am I supposed to do? Uh, plot twist. What, what am I supposed to do now? Like, those are disjointed questions. How many of you have felt disjointed over the last two, three years, however long, maybe, maybe even longer? Like, like the world has gone crazy and, and you're helpless to do anything about it. And I'm not talking about COVID. Like, I'm not talking about or the, the seismic cultural shifts that are taking place all, all around us. I'm not, I'm not even really talking about that stuff. But I'm talking about like foundational relationships that used to be and should be a lot easier than they are. Like, or maybe they never were easy, but now they seem impossible. Like, I'm talking about feeling anxious in ways that you, you never have before. How many of you no longer feel like you belong in places where you used to feel great belonging? Maybe, maybe school no, no longer seems like a place of belonging for you. 
Maybe, maybe your family no longer seems like a place of belonging. Maybe church no longer seems like a place of belonging for you. You've been hurt and are having trouble trusting again. How does the Bible come alongside all of that? How does the Bible come alongside all of those, those questions and fears and anxieties and troubles and, and discomforts and, and just difficulty where there used to not be difficulty? And, and the, the Bible offers something better than, than pat answers to those questions. It gives us something better than you know, rote things we can memorize. The Bible gives us story. It gives us identity. And it leads us into relationship with someone that knows us better than anybody else could ever know us. And I mean, not just knowing facts about us, right? But, but one who, who sees us as we truly are. That's a scary thing in and of itself, being seen really really seen every scrap of us and the one that the bible tells the story of that leads us into relationship with the one who sees us and knows us fully and completely desires us wants us wants us as we truly are and this one's name is jesus and, it, and it's his grace that calls us out of ourselves to him. And this grace shows us a better way to live. And this grace encourages us to live that way and teaches us to live that way and enables us to live that way. I think that, that's the letter of First Peter. This grace is a deep well for the troubled heart of Jesus' followers as we live in a place that is not our home. So let's look at this in two ways. Grace and peace multiplied for the author and then grace and peace multiplied for the audience. Grace and peace multiplied for the author, grace and peace multiplied for the audience. So let's look at grace and peace multiplied for the author, first of all. Let's let's tell this story. It's a flashback. (laughs) And it's a cold night. And, And there's a chill in the air, and the chill of the air was matched by a greater chill in the heart of this man. And he was huddled around the fire barrel with all of the other outsiders. But he was within earshot of the place of power and judgment. Life and death were being traded and haggled over like the night's catch. Fear 
was the fumes of those flames. And the man was breathing it in deeply. You're with him, a man said, gesturing firmly to the place of power. Yes, said another, I've seen you with him. I've seen you, don't bother denying it. A girl who has no power, but also has all the power, said. Fear moved in the man's lungs, inhaling three accusations, exhaling three denials, laced with curses, three times the rooster crows. And his world comes apart as he catches the eye of love made flesh. Flash forward. A pen, ink, something to write on, and these words. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This one knows. This one knows grace and peace. He knows what grace and peace means. Peter writes as one who needs and has received grace. And he writes to those who will need the persevering grace and peace of salvation in Christ Jesus. Paul Tripp says you can preach a whole sermon on the first word of this letter, Peter. Ancient letters start, they identify the author that, that this, is, this is a letter written by Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How remarkable that is, that that after denying his friend, after denying his teacher, his savior, his Lord, Peter is called an apostle and he is not ashamed to call himself an apostle because the depth of the penetrating power of the grace and peace that Peter experienced in the person of Jesus took away not only the guilt of his denial, but the shame of it. And so he's okay with calling himself an apostle because he knows what a miracle of grace that is. And even that title apostle that goes with his name points us to Jesus and what he has done. Even the title apostle that that is attached to the name Peter preaches the gospel. Grace. Flashback. (laughs) A week or two after the resurrection, the fishermen were fishing. Fishing, but not catching, right? As the dawn broke on the water and the sweaty backs and the failure of an empty boat, a familiar man made a familiar suggestion. Fish on the other side, kids. Dawn broke into the bright light of recognition and Peter went for a swim towards Jesus. Towards peace for his shredded soul. There was another fire. 
This one lit and fueled by love. And the man breathed deep. Inhaling three questions that sting a little. little. Exhaling three affirmations of love. Three recommissions. Inhaling, feed, tend, feed. Grace is given. Peace is restored. The conquering love of Jesus. Is that only Peter's story? Or is it ours? Is it yours? Have you experienced the grace and peace that Peter experienced? Have you breathed it in the way he did? Have you you taken it into your heart and into your body so that it comes out in the way that you live? Have you answered some of those tough questions that we asked at the beginning Not with definitive propositional statements, but with this relationship that is offered to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the grace and peace of the Savior. What did Peter do? What did he do to earn this? He brought his sin. He brought his denial. He brought his rejection of his Lord. And his Lord answered that with love, with grace, with redemption, with peace. His Lord answered Peter's denial of him by rewriting Peter's story in the colorful ink of his love. And now Peter is living out that story. And he's going to tell these believers, his audience, how to live it out as well. That's, that's the rest of the book. <laughs> so that's grace and peace multiplied for the author. Let's look at grace and peace multiplied for the audience. Number, uh, verse one, rather, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. There, I mean, there are several things that we can just know about the audience of the, the letter of 1 Peter. Um, first of all, is where they were. They were in all these cities, uh, but they are around kind of modern-day Turkey. So that's geographically, if you can fix that point in your head, that's, that's sort of where they were. And, and we're see, we'll see later as we go through 1 Peter that, that they were mostly Gentiles. In other words, they weren't... They weren't Jewish. They, they didn't start off Jewish. They started off as Gentiles and they, they became Christians as Gentiles. But, but those things as interesting as they are, and they do bear on what we're going to say as we go through the book, they're not unimportant by any means. But most significantly, the thing that Peter points out about the, the people to whom he's writing in this book and the way that Peter identifies them is as elect exiles. Uh, Dan Doriani translates it this way. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. (laughs) 
I like the word sojourner, one who is, who is passing through the, the alien on his way to somewhere else, but somebody, somebody that's staying a while. But they don't, they don't fit in. They don't belong. There's something you know, alien and foreign about them and the things that characterize and make up their lives and the things that they do, the things that they believe. But they're, they're really, like, really not going anywhere in the intermediate term, right? Strangers in the world. And I, I think it's in these two words that we really start to find some of the answers to the questions that we, we started off with. These, these deep questions of identity and belonging and, and both, both words answer both lines of questions in their own way. Who am I? I'm elect, which means I'm one of God's beloved. Who am I? I'm, I'm in exile. My home is with my Savior. Where do I belong? As his elect, I belong with him because he chose me. But as an exile, I can endure feeling unsettled here because I am made for another world. Take a minute after the service and read the C.S. Lewis quote that's in the front of your bulletin. We'll say more about our exile status as we go along through the letter, but, but the rest of 1 Peter really helps us in living out our calling to be, again, Dan Doriani, he calls us engaged exiles, and, and it unpacks what it means to be an engaged exile, one who doesn't belong, but one who, who is here anyway and, and who is called to a mission in this place that's not our home. What does it mean to live out our calling to be engaged exiles in the church, in our families, and in our relationships, and in our marriages, in our lives as productive citizens. Like all of these things Peter is going to, to unpack for us. What, is it, what does it mean to live out that, that ethic? What ethic do we need from this identity that comes from the security of our salvation in Christ And I think that's at the heart of the word elect as we approach it. To say that we are God's elect can sound very arrogant and very presumptuous. And certainly if we, if we parade ourselves around in front of an unbelieving world, you know, with our, I'm an elect t-shirt, I don't know, but like, yeah, as if we somehow been chosen because God really wants us on his kickball team, right? When the reality is, <laughs> from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The reality is, like, in that one verse, Paul goes after both the nerds and the jocks, Right? You think you're, you're super smart and look down on the jock, God chose you because you're foolish. You think you're big and strong and, and like to pick on the D&D club kids, I have scars, um, God chose you because you're weak. But here, Peter uses that word, elect, to comfort. 
He uses it to reassure. He uses it to, to, to remind us of the unmerited status that we have before God the Father. And he, he does it by, by pointing out that all three persons of the triune God work together to redeem these elect exiles. All three persons. Look at verse 2. You are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That God the Father sets his covenantal love on those he knows. And and this knowledge that is talked about is this deep relational knowledge, right? That he knows us before any of us were born. He knew us truly, profoundly, fully. He knows and loves us. God the Spirit sets us apart by making us alive and dwelling within us, right? That, that, yeah, we are made holy in the sense that we are set apart for God by His Spirit. That God's people are His treasured possession. As Exodus 19 says, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. But I'm making you especially my treasure, That's the work of the Spirit. God the Son brings our life into alignment then with God's holy standard. He he does this by making atonement for us with his blood. By paying the debt. He does this by living the life that we could never live. Being perfect in the sight of God. So he provides the obedience that we lacked. At the same time, he pays the debt that we owe. And both of those things, the obedience that we lack and the debt that we owe, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, provides for us, both of those things are found outside of ourselves. Our salvation does not come from within, but rather it comes from the work and person of someone else, namely Jesus Christ. It's almost, it's almost summer Maybe that, maybe that sends a chill up your spine. I don't know. Um, maybe it makes you excited. It, it's ma- it makes me excited. There's something special that happens every summer. And that is, there's lots of things that happen special every summer. But one of the most specialist things is my dad grows tomatoes. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and grow some tomatoes this year. Uh, but, but dads are the best. And let me ask you this question. When was the last time you had a really good tomato? Like right off the vine, you, you literally pick it, wash it, and cut it. And, and when was the last time you did that? If you were lucky, it, was, it, was, it couldn't have been any sooner than last summer, right? That you've, you've been able to do that. If you're lucky... But in the meantime, we've had winter and fall and spring, right? And, and all of that was last Thursday. Um, <laughs> let the electing, redeeming work of the triune God 
be like the taste of the first tomato of summer for you. Children of God, elect engaged exiles of God, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, set apart by the Spirit, and, and loved from before the foundation of the world, those who know that you are a sinner and that Jesus is your Savior, breathe the gospel in, take it into you, and let the sweetness and goodness of God's redeeming love connect you and ground you to him. Let it give you life in a beautiful way. Those tomatoes are sweet because they were grown and tended by my dad. (laughs) Receive the gospel for the wonderful gift that it is. If this is new to you, if the message of the gospel of grace is something that you're struggling to understand, struggling to believe, you want to believe it, it sounds great, but it also sounds too good to be true, let me assure you, it's true. And it's far more wonderful than a tomato. Every week, as God's people, we gather around a table and set upon that table is a story, a story that is told in bread and wine, these common things. But the story that that broken bread tells us is the story of the perfectly righteous, innocent, holy son of God offering his body up for me so that His body might be torn and bruised and broken and his blood might be shed as an atonement for all the wrong that I have done. And then he says, come (laughs) and receive it. Wherever you are, whether you've been a Christian for many years, whether you're searching for Jesus, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we need grace and peace. We need you to do this multiplying work of faith in our hearts and lives. We need to have your Spirit's help to believe it. We need your your presence to remind us of the the holiness and goodness that you have set before us in your son we need we need to be retold and told that story over and over again so that we can believe it our children need to hear it well we just we just promised to do that for little caroline help us to be faithful faithful tellers of that story, faithful reminders to one another of the sweetness and life-giving fruit of the gospel of grace. Lord, help us to live as engaged exiles, as those who are called to be salt and light and be on mission where we are. 
Lord, we can't do that without this constant refreshment and reminder of our need, but also the Savior that meets our need. Lord, be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.